yeah, it was it was such a kind of pie in the sky idea. Like we just had no clue what was going to happen, and and so you know, quit my job and moved up to Whistler and was like trying to be a ski bum, but also was starting this company. And and then, you know, the Kickstarter just exploded overnight. And so I, I did not get to ski at all. That's the voice of Emma Rose, founder and CEO of Final Straw, who asked to have her ski pass refunded after inheriting $1 million plus from unknown citizens who believed her idea could eliminate single-use plastic straws. What responsibilities and lessons would come along with this overnight fortune? Find out on this episode of The Relators Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. And if you are listening to this podcast close to its release date of January 1st, 2020, on behalf of the Relators team, we just want to say thank you for your unwavering support. Happy New Year, and we look forward to hearing about your impact in 2020. And if you want to be the leader everyone loves this decade, throughout all of January and February, we're having on CEOs from our 2020 100 Top Impact Companies list. So make sure to hit the subscribe button and be notified of their release. Okay, now let's get back to this uninterrupted show. Please, everyone, give it up for the real Miss Emma Rose. All right, and we'll get started here in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, lucky listeners, to this episode of the Really Years Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Alongside me today, we have the founder and CEO of Final Straw, uh, Miss Emma Rose. Emma, thanks for being with us today. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me. And Final Straw's mission, well, they're on a mission to create reusable, responsibly made badass products that reduce the need for plastics, empower individuals to change their buying habits, and raise awareness of the impacts of everyday decisions. So, Emma, for preparing for this interview, I saw that you like to say straws suck. So, my first question for you, Emma, today is what is the flaw with straws? So, the problem, the problem really is in single use. Um, straws aren't the problem. It's the way we consume products and, and throw them away. There's so many resources that go into creating any single use item, whether it's packaging straws, um, you know, any, a whole host of things, you know, the Amazon box that you get and throw away in five minutes. Um, and we don't necessarily think about the upstream impact. So that's like all of the materials, water, waste, uh, that's created in in manufacturing that product um, because we're generally thinking more about where does it go when we throw it away. Um, so what we're trying to do is is kind of retrain people to think not only about where does the product go when you throw it away, but also like what goes into making that product and and how can we redesign things so that we're not you know wasting all of these materials and energy and and fuel to make something that lasts 30 seconds and then we throw it away. So, you know, a lot of times, like I will say, plastic isn't the problem, it's the way we use it. Um, plastic is this incredible, innovative, amazing material that has allowed us to have, you know, medical advancements beyond what we could have even imagined, you know, 50 years ago. But the, when we use it in a single use application, because it is a material that's designed to last forever, that is the problem. Um, and, and straws particularly, I think we're chosen as this um, symbol of the waste reduction movement because they're such low hanging fruit. 
Um, the majority of people do not need a straw to drink. There are people out there that do. And so this does not apply to them. Um, that is a totally separate topic. Uh, but, but for most people, um, you get a straw in your drink and maybe you take it out and just put it on the table and throw it away. Or you take a couple sips out of it and then, you know, it gets thrown away. And so this is something that people hadn't really thought about because it was so automatic. We just always got a drink with a straw in it. And then, you know, this, this massive movement came along where people were really trying to highlight uh, the amount of waste that's happening in our everyday lives. And it was like, let's pick one thing that's like really easy to remove. Let's pick one thing because if we can get people to make this small change, uh, then they likely will be able to incorporate larger changes into their lifestyle down the line. Yeah, Emma, really in the last two years, probably three years, this is really picked up. Yeah. Like it's all it's like, you know, when you go to a Starbucks or, you know, any, you know, McDonald's, you know, you know, uh, not to ask for that straw or you say something, they always ask you, do you want this straw with with your order? And, you know, sometimes do you feel a little guilty about it? I mean, what? have maybe some industry leaders, like what changes have industry leaders um, done for this cause that's really helped uh, inspire, you know, the consumers uh, and really helped drive, you know, uh, brand awareness for Final Straw? Well, what really kicked off the straw movement was that Seattle banned straws. Um, The nonprofit, The Lonely Whale, worked with the city of Seattle to create this ordinance. And that created this kind of tidal wave of, um, legislation as well as corporate buy-in. So you had all of these kind of other cities banning straws all around, but then what was kind of the most amazing thing to watch was then you had like places like Starbucks, Ikea, Alaska Airlines, Marriott, you know, these humongous corporations um, coming out against straws and, and really trying to get behind the movement. Um, you know, whether it's greenwashing or they actually do care um, is, is debatable. But either way, uh, this movement was so powerful that these large companies saw it and and saw that they also needed to do something about it. So back to your original first response, you said plastic isn't the problem, but you also mentioned like single-use plastic is a problem. Um, Maybe elaborate on that a little bit more and kind of where you see Final Straw's role in that reduction. Yeah, so... You know, I mean, it's it's funny because when you go to the store and and there was this whole debate on like you know paper versus plastic and and everyone's like, oh, it's okay, paper is better. It's better if it's packaged in paper. Well, that's actually not true. Um, paper takes four times as much water, energy, fuel, uh, transport costs than plastic because it's a heavier material made out of trees. So the, what's good about paper, though, is that in end of life, it, if, it, if it's sent to a compost facility, it can break down uh, into and create compost. Uh, but what happens with paper, because most places don't have uh, citywide composting facilities, is that it ends up going to a landfill. And so in a landfill, it's paper is surrounded by all of this plastic, uh, which means that it digests without the presence of oxygen, which is called anaerobic digestion. Um, when when the materials biodegrade, they aerobically digest. So that means that there's oxygen present, which means that it produces CO2 um, as the off gas, um, which everyone knows is, you know, carbon dioxide, which is part of the reason we're having, you know, global climate change. Now, when something anaerobically digests, it produces 40 times the amount of um, greenhouse gas effects because it produces methane. 
because without the presence of oxygen, methane is released, um, which is a much worse CO2 or a much worse greenhouse gas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's a long winded answer of why um, you can't just say paper is better than plastic. Um, Ultimately, single use is the problem when we're putting all of these resources and materials into something that we're using for five minutes and then throwing it away. It's like, you know, we're inherently assigning that item a value of zero um, when it doesn't have a zero value. You know, there's all of these materials and energy and, and money that go into making these items. And yet, you know, they're thrown away without without any, um, you know, two thoughts about it. Um, plastic, on the other hand, um, and, and every material that we deal with has a different life cycle. So like, you know, a lot of times I'll talk about how recycling is broken and like, that's not true for every material. Like metal is a really important material to recycle. Um, but plastic, plastic is not getting recycled right now. So every time that you use a plastic water bottle or whatever it might be, and then you, you feel kind of guilty about using it, but then you put it in the recycling bin so you don't feel so guilty, um, it's a lie. Um, we, we basically used recycling to prop up consumerism so that people feel better about their consumption. Um, but they found studies that recycling actually increases use. So um, they did this really cool experiment where they put two different groups of people in in a room each. And one group, uh, they're both told that they are testing scissors, but in one room, um, the people had a trash can and a recycling bin. And in the other room, they just had a trash can. Hmm. And what they found is that in the presence of a recycling bin, the people testing paper use 30% more paper. Hmm. And it's called the moral licensing effect. And so we basically feel better about decisions that would be you know, deemed negative by society if, if, if there's like an outlet that makes it better. So um, you know, recycling is really tough because we always lean on it as like, you know, I'm a steward to the environment. I care, I recycle. Um, and that's what we've been taught since we were kids. You know, like I even still to this day, find myself having to like, be like, no, like, it's not true. You know better. And, um, yeah, it's so it's tough because people are like, well, what are the options? And it's like, okay, well, it's going to involve a lifestyle change, which not very many people want to do. Um, but that is, that is why, you know, I'm so passionate about this topic because I really truly believe that with the proper tools, um, we can replace single use with items that are designed to last forever and that are convenient to carry around with you. And, and it, it will make sense, um, moving forward that, that this is a viable alternative. And, you know, paired with that, we also need innovation in materials. And so, you know, there's a really cool company, Lollyware, they're doing, um, seaweed straws, and, and looking at other like uh, marine biodegradable materials. So, um, you know, the, the other, <laughs> not to go on too much of a rant right now, but like, you know, the other material issue is, is around biodegradable plastic. And, and that's because um, plastic, well, these biodegradable plastics, first of all, um, a lot of times will contain a majority petroleum products. So they're only using a small fraction um, of a biological resource um, <clears throat> for the polymer chain for the plastic, hmm. but the other issue is that like you have to send it to an industrial compost facility for it to biodegrade. 
well, when is the last time you had access to one? Um, they are few and far between, and there's very um, few cities that have these infrastructures set up. It's becoming more popular, but it's also incredibly expensive. So it's it's difficult for cities to implement these systems uh, where you can actually send a biodegradable um, a biodegradable uh, plastic cup to an industrial composter and it actually biodegrades. So that's, that's like, you know, that's so, I know that's a lot of information and that's why it's really hard to like get all of this across because people just kind of want, you know, what's better A or B. And I'm like, well, that depends. That Do you have simple. access to an industrial composter? And they're like, what? <laughs> right. Well, Emma, it seems like you're really passionate about this, this topic. You've obviously had many years of experience uh, researching and diagnosing this, this uh, uh, robust problem. Um, but I want to touch on a couple things you mentioned. The first one is the uh, decomposition of plastic. Now, were you referring to the decomposition of paper when you were saying uh, 40 times more likely with, with, with methane? Yeah. So, okay. um, plastic actually, yes, I was referring to paper with, uh, the, the 40 times more potent, uh, that is methane. Um, plastic doesn't biodegrade, right. it photodegrades. So when exposed to light, plastic breaks down into lots of tiny little pieces that then stay at this, you know, kind of microscopic, um, sometimes a little bigger level. Um, the, the big issue with plastic in the ocean, well, there's a lot of issues with it, but one of them is that it is obviously floating at the surface. And so it's breaking down with the sunlight and then it's turning into these pieces that are about the size of plankton. Well, plankton is the basis of the food chain in the ocean. And so, um, you know, fish don't fish when fish eat, they're not like, mm, that looks like a yummy piece of plankton. I'm going to eat that up. Like they just kind of open their mouth like a fat man at the buffet. And then like whatever goes in, goes in. And, and so, it's like they are consuming, you know, tons of plastic, sometimes more plastic than fish um, in a day. And so their stomachs fill up with plastic and they obviously aren't getting any nutritional value of it, but they're starving to death because the, you know, the way our nervous system works is that we release, um, an, we release a hormone when our stomachs get empty, which basically signals to our brain that we're hungry. And so if, you're, if your stomach is constantly full of plastic, um, you won't get that signaling and therefore you won't eat. And that's why a lot of the, you know, birds and fish and stuff are coming washed ashore with, with stomachs full of plastic. Interesting. Yeah. I've, I've looked into a couple studies like that and a lot of them have kind of been like inconclusive, but I've never heard of that, uh, that the, it affects the nervous system. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, well, the reason I asked is cause you, you brought up a really good point about, uh, 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 the psychology with the two classrooms of if you have a recycle bin, you're more likely to use plastic and recycle. Um, with decomposition, uh, why does it make sense for us to recycle plastic then if it's going to eventually, um, you know, I guess not produce methane and greenhouse gases into the atmosphere if it goes into a landfill? Right now, it doesn't. It it right now we don't have the recycling infrastructure, um, so it one hundred percent does not make sense to recycle it. Mm. Um, what happened in January of two thousand eighteen is China stopped taking our recycling. So what mm. we used to do is get you know all of our crap from China sent in these containers, and then we would basically fill those containers with all the trash and packaging and garbage, and be like, okay, China, you deal with it. 
And a lot of it, you know, was under the guise of recycling. So they tried putting in stricter regulations on contamination rates of like what we were allowed to send. But like, because we do single stream recycling in the United States, which means that we throw all of our recycling in one bin, you have super high contamination rates. And the idea around single stream is that you increase volumes because you get people recycling more, but you just get lower quality, um, which ultimately, you know, we've seen now is not the answer. But either way, so China puts up this restriction and basically says, look, we're not taking any of your recycling anymore. And now we are in the depths of trying to figure out what to do. Um, and what we're doing is sending all of it to landfill. Um, at least, you know, and, and when I, I put a little asterisk by this because metals are different um, and, and depending on where you are in the country, paper could be a little different, but there, there are no stateside recycling, plastic recycling facilities right now um, that are able to handle the scale of which we produce. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're totally lying to ourselves by recycling those materials. They're, they're ending up in the landfill and um, we're ending up with that warm, fuzzy feeling that makes us feel good about ourselves every time you put something in the recycling bin. Well, I'm, I'm really happy you brought up uh, China because I've had a couple conversations with some recycling leaders in this space. Um, and for people listening to this, though, if you don't know anything about the China and uh, the recycling, um, I guess, block they just put put on a couple of years ago, um, it, it kind of started. Now, everyone has to keep in mind, like China, pretty poor country a couple of years ago. And like to to fit their manufacturing needs, they started collecting like it was like 70 percent of the world's like recyclables. So everyone's like like billions and billions of tons of plastic just going to China uh, and then them, you know, recycling those and using them for their products and their, their supply chain. Um, and the I believe the recyclables that we were sending over, yes, they were like, you know, unsorted recyclables, but it was all recyclable stuff. It wasn't just like trash and things like that, um, because I think it's like two like the United States. I think I think they're they the United States produces like two percent of the world's like recyclable waste versus like China, Asia, India and the Philippines contribute like 70% of that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting little factoid there. So when China to go on your point about like creating comparables and, uh, if you have a recycle bin, you're going to use more plastic when China stopped two years ago, um, recycle, recycle, uh, companies, companies like yours have innovated ways, uh, to go around this problem and, and create, um, a new market opportunity for this. When was the realization point for you, Emma, when you understood that you could really have an impact on this recycling issue? Well, um, I was working at, I guess to like start off my journey, I was, in college in Santa Barbara and just kind of had started having these like moments where I'd look around and there's trash everywhere. I mean, everyone was like parting their brains out and you know, there's just like beer cans and cups and like all this stuff all over the streets. And I'm like, this is crazy. We're like a group of people seeking a higher education, trying to change the world. And yet like, this is what we're leaving as our legacy. Um, so it felt really contradictory to me as like my purpose there, um, to make, to kind of like learn and grow and like become this, you know, better person. And, and yet like this was the actual impact I was having. Um, so that started kind of 
messing with my head. And at the same time, um, I had a few other girlfriends who were kind of thinking the same thing. So we started doing some beach cleanups and we just like happened to have mermaid outfits. So we're like, yeah, let's like dress up like mermaids and like do some beach cleanups. And that eventually evolved into creating a nonprofit where we did ocean education and after school programs for kids to really, first of all, like tell them about the problem around plastic, because at the end of the day, it's like a million times easier to have a kid convince their mom than for me to convince their mom. Um, so if the kid comes home and it's like, mommy, like, why are we using Ziploc bags? They're so bad for the environment. The mom's gonna be like, oh shit. And, but if I do it, the mom's going to be like, I'm so busy. Don't tell me what to do. Like, you know, so like finding the kind of easy ways to make changes. Um, and then from there, I, that's when I found my passion and was like, okay, this is the work I want to be doing. Um, I just don't really know in what capacity. So I ended up rolling in grad school and then got a job at Los Alamos national laboratory in waste minimization and worked there for about four years. And that was my real like formal training. And during that time when I was doing my master's, I did my thesis on um, to-go container waste. And I basically invented this like to-go container um, in, in my thesis. And, and so I was really excited about this. And and then at that same time, like saw the the kind of like way that the conversation was shifting around straws because I knew that Seattle was banning straws. And this was going to be a pretty like big deal um, because no one had done that yet. And so um, I I basically pivoted on that idea and started working with my former co-founder on this concept. And yeah, it was, it was such a kind of pie in the sky idea. Like we just had no clue what was going to happen. And, and so, you know, quit my job and moved up to Whistler and, was like trying to be a ski bum, but also was starting this company. And, and then, you know, the Kickstarter just exploded overnight. And so I, I did not get to ski at all. <laughs> so, okay. So you're on Kickstarter, right? You're, you're raising, I mean, you raised, was it over a $1.8 million on Kickstarter or something like that? Yeah. Okay. So you raise on this crowdsourcing platform, people are moved by this final straw product that can reduce these plastic yeah. straws. And now you have all this capital. What comes along with the capital? What responsibilities come along with that? What growing pains uh, did you experience? Mo problems. Uh, I mean, you know, it was, it was such an incredible moment to, to have, um, the world validate what I cared so much about. Um, you know, going into it, it was like no one was like, this is gonna be a slam dunk. Like no one was was telling me that, you know, this is the idea that's gonna, you know, set your company apart. So I went into it with incredibly low expectations and just like was like, this is fun. I like doing it. It's something that I would like to see in the world. And maybe there's more people out there like me. Um, and so there were, and so it was so bonkers to just like, you know, put your heart and soul into a project, put it on the internet. And then the world is just like, yes, 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 yes. And you're just like, ah, this is crazy. Um, it was, it was so amazing, but also just terrifying. I mean, I had a full panic attack and just like, couldn't eat or sleep for the first three days. The Kickstarter went live. Like I was losing my mind just like crying and like just 
fully freaking out. And then, um, you know, the, the emails were just crazy. We're getting hundreds of emails a day. We didn't have any customer support, uh, team at all. Um, so I'm like hiring people as quickly as I can, like bringing on family, like anyone that like knows how to type. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it really goes to show that, um, people want change and people are looking for alternatives and there need to be more companies out there innovating such that we can reduce plastic waste, but it is going to take a lot of companies and a lot of ideas and a lot of trials and a lot of failures to, to make it happen. But that's, that's such a cool story. So I can continue. <laughs> yeah. In terms of your question around like, you know, what, what did the money bring? Um, I mean, massive anxiety. Um, and then, you know, it, it's like, we didn't even celebrate the Kickstarter. It was like the day the Kickstarter was over, it was like the impending dread of the fact that I needed to deliver a hundred thousand straws in six months when I had no finalized design, no manufacturer, no clue what I was doing. Um, you know, that all started kind of like trickling in and I was just like, Oh dear, like what have I gotten myself into? Like, yes, I have all this money, but now I have really big problems I need to figure out and, and at a mass scale. Um, so it's not just making a couple hundred straws anymore. It's like, how do we make, you know, a hundred thousand straws? Well, I'm sorry. The, the spring ski season pass went to waste. Um, That's okay. There'll be more. No time on the mountain. Uh, well, very, very interesting, Emma. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I was speaking with, um, the guy who was a part of like Florida state's entrepreneurship program. And I was just, we were having a really, um, very heartfelt conversation about capitalism and if it can be used to um, sustain the planet, people and profits. Mm. And so his whole thesis, I guess my thesis was, yes, a social a social entrepreneur can also be someone in a for profit uh, yeah. case in point. So um, and he didn't really understand this concept and a lot of people don't. So uh, would you mind explaining is is uh, or uh, here's the question is is profit at the center of your focus? Like, are you are you focused solely on for profit or are you focused more on, you know, this purpose driven in our impact and how do you measure that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, what's, what's beautiful about not having investors is that you don't have to focus on profit. Um, you can focus on building the best company possible, um, and really keeping that triple bottom line. So people planet profit, um, that will always be our model. And I will only bring on investors that, that understand that. Uh, but I think a lot of people feel like they get pressured into making decisions solely based on profit because um, they brought in outside capital and therefore have to answer to those people. Um, but I don't have to answer to anyone. And so every decision I make is like, is this right for the company? And does this align with our values? And our values are you know, about supporting community um, helping the planet and, um, you know, increasing awareness around single use plastics. Um, so really if it doesn't align with those things, then it's like, it's an easy decision to say no to. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, how much, how much money do I need? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I think people get so caught up with like all of the, you know, money and, and things that you can buy, but it's like, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. Like I don't like having a lot of stuff and I, I like, um, you know, living minimally and, and like, of course I still like to do, you know, nice things, but, um, I try and also just keep a balance. 
So, you know, as long as like we can keep paying all the employees and, and do some cute Christmas presents, it's like, we're doing great. <laughs> That's real talk for sure. Well, thanks for sharing that, Emma. I, you know, actually one of our uh, coworkers uses a final straw. And so I was asking right. her, I say, I say, well, you know, Lee, what do you like about this straw? And she says, I like the bling aspect to it. She's like, I like how it's shiny. It's portable. She's like, and I yeah. was so pissed when I lost my final straw and I had to get another one. I think someone stole it, you know? <sighs> and, and so it, she, and it's interesting. So, well, how difficult has it been for you to adopt carrying around, you know, a straw with you at all times? And she said, not that difficult at all. What have you found in maybe in your research in terms of your own consumers, uh, purchasing a final straw and using it or losing it? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Everyone says, or there's all these different studies about how long it takes to make a habit. And I'm like, I think it takes like a day. Um, you know, you just kind of, and I guess it depends what kind of conviction you have with the decision, but it's like, that's why we made final straw a keychain. It's like, you put it on your keys, you bring your keys wherever, and then boom, like, I guess the habit may be, um, that you need to, um, you know, ask for your drink with no straw, but like, I don't, I don't fully subscribe to it taking 28 days. to learn how to say that every time. So, you know, I think, People obviously lose the straw and that's a total bummer because, you know, it's, it's, it's got an environmental impact just like everything else. Um, and it has an environmental impact that's higher than a single use plastic straw because of all the materials that go into it. So, you know, we, we certainly hope that people are doing their best to keep it on them. Um, you know, and then we also back everything with a lifetime guarantee. So if, Mm. if anything breaks with your straw, anything goes wrong, um, we'll take it back and fix it and say, or send you a new one depending. So, you know, the idea is like, it's like, we really want to be solving the problem. Like, I don't want to just be making more crap to like, you know, sell to people. It's like, we want to be making items that actually serve a purpose. And, and it's like, you know, especially around holiday season right now, it's like, God, I'm getting all these like gifts where I'm like, I don't want this. Like, I don't need this. This serves no purpose. Like, what am I going to do, you know, with this freaking like fruit basket covered in plastic? Like, do you even know me? Um, but that's, that's what we're trying to do. It's like, how can we make thoughtful products that people actually want and, and really enjoy and use on a regular basis? So speaking of, so you said products, do you have more than one product? Are you diversifying? What are you doing? We are. Yeah. We're working on a bunch of things. Um, I'm super, super excited. We've got a fork that's in the works and final fork. And, um, yeah, that's going to be really, really cool. Um, that's like the product that I've really been waiting for because honestly, I don't even use straws. Um, like I just, I stopped using them like 10 years ago and then here I am the straw lady. Uh, it's kind of weird, but, uh, so we're also working on a smoothie or boba straw um, because with all of these straw bans that have been happening, uh, all of the boba shops are freaking out because they don't know what to do. And so we are, we're really close to having a very cool, different, innovative uh, replacement. Wait, hold on one second. I'm like, this fork, what's different about this fork than yeah. my normal you know, metal fork? Yeah. Head? So, well, this is designed for travel. Um, so, you know, if you look on the internet right now to see what is out there in terms of, um, travel wear, 
um, it's really limited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have my like bamboo travel fork, but it's not sexy. And that's, that's to your point of what it's your coworker bling. said. It's like, you want the bling, like, like, how do we make reusables an elevated experience? You know, because people are, people use single use plastic cause it's convenient. Okay. So like you're eating, maybe you go to a food truck and it's this like artisan, amazing, you know, fancy foodie, whatever. And, and then yet you're eating it off of like a single use plate with a plastic fork. It's like, uh, for me, like I need a well-rounded experience. I want the whole thing to feel good. I want the feeling of the fork in my mouth to feel nice. And like, you know, all of these tiny little things that make people change behaviors. Um, so, so mixing this kind of elevated experience with the bling aspect with making, you know, sustainability is a mega trend. Now it's cool to be sustainable. So let's design these beautiful products that replacingly use plastic and make people feel like they're identifying with the movement by using the products. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the fork it's, yeah, it's going to be kind of same concept as the straw where it folds down into a little case. You can put it on your keychain, you can carry it however you want and um, take it wherever you go. So you never have to use single use plastic fork or knife or spoon ever again. Uh, Emma, you seem like really passionate about this, obviously. <laughs> it seems like, oh, yeah. you know, you're probably enjoying, and, and you know, that sometimes is very contagious uh, in terms of like bringing on a new employees and, and people yeah. with uh, similar values. Have you found that to be uh, an advantage uh, for Final Straw? And are people coming to your organization because they want to make the same impact that you want to make? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, I think that more and more people want jobs with a deeper mission. Um, that's what I hear in interviews all the time. You know, I was, I was working at like, you know, this like stockbroker place, whatever. And it like, there's no purpose, um, to what I'm doing. So I'm bored and I'm, I'm kind of depressed and I want something else. Um, this is, this is so new for our generation. I think our parents' generation were really focused on like you know, making a better life for us. And now, you know, a lot of us have the better life. So it's like, okay, what can I do that? Like, like fills a deeper need inside me beyond just paying the bills. Um, and you know, I think that's one really big advantage we have in hiring is that we're not just selling knickknacks. We're selling things that are making all of these ripple effects and changes throughout the world. And, you know, we certainly attract a certain type of uh, candidate for those jobs. Uh, Emma, you mentioned, uh, what was it? The, we've had a world validation of people purchasing straws. Um, this is really big. I mean, is uh, what's it going to take in terms of uh, a shift in consciousness uh, in order to help consumers and, and both you know consumers and industry leaders uh, to make these conscious decisions like, like you have uh, put forth today? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a question I think about a lot. Um, and I ask my friends a lot because, you know, we've all, every single person, almost pretty much every person who's, um, stopped using single use plastic did use it at one point. So I ask like, what, what was your aha moment? And, and most people don't just have one. Um, it's a lot of moments combined together And so I think that, you know, we need to be telling the story in a way where, first of all, people want to listen. um, And then, you know, they then get to take the facts 
And it's, it's not about saying you're bad for using plastic or like you're, you're, you don't care about the earth. It's about saying, look, here's the facts around these materials. Um, here's the impact that it's causing to the world, to future generations, to, you know, financial issues, to health issues. Um, if you care about any of those things, maybe, you know, you should look into this. Um, so it's, I think it's, you know, ultimately it's a lot about marketing and, and how are we spinning the story? How are we getting people involved? How are we getting people engaged? Um, and then to just make sure that we continue amplifying the voices of people who are telling the story because it's not going to change. And no matter how many freaking ocean cleanup projects we launch and spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars doing, it's a waste because we have to turn off the tap. There's no point in doing cleanups unless we stop the, you know, dumping of plastic into the ocean that's happening at a rate of a dump truck every second. Mm. Uh, it's, it's even in your mission, you know, what impact are we going to have on our, our everyday decisions, every, everyday um, actions? Um, you know, leaders think about that a lot, Emma. So the last question I have for you today is, is what is your definition of a real leader? Mm. I think it's um, someone who leads from a place of truth and inspires people to uh, think differently and and level up. Think differently. I think, yeah. I mean, the real leaders, like they get you fired up. They get you so excited um, to pursue whatever it may be that is your passion. Um, you know, I'll listen to someone talk about something completely out of scope from what I'm working on and yet like can distill some of the information that they're saying and apply it to what I'm doing. And then it kind of like shoots me off into the universe in some way. So, yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's so many incredible leaders out there and, and people that I've drawn a ton of inspiration from. And, and so, you know, they just, they get me fired up. A real leader gets you fired up and, oh. and points you in a direction because you don't want to just be like fired up with nowhere to go. I love it. Well, I'm fired up. I hope our listeners are fired up. I'm sure they are. Uh, Emma, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. We talked about a lot. Talked about um, the the flaws with straws, uh, some problems in, in plastic and recycling, uh, what happens to these products in the future. Uh, we talked about uh, the Kickstarter campaign, how you had to quit your skiing and, and go start the, the company early uh, with all these donations coming in from the crowdsource platform. Uh, and then lastly, we wrapped up with your leadership advice. Uh, so Emma, just want to thank you again uh, for coming on the Real Leaders Podcast. For Emma Rose, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, think differently, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Kevin. 